Welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. Eric Steven, you have news for me. You know, I, I just thought about this. Like, we could be one of these, if, if, if like, my notes, like, went down, I, I all of a sudden I'd revert to the SNL skit of uh, Wake Up Miami or whatever the heck the morning show was, mm-hmm. where their teleprompter died, and then they just, like devolved into chaos immediately <laughs> and like i just had this panic where i couldn't tab over to the the notes in time and like i, I have an idea what we're going to talk about but like there's just this momentary panic and all i could think of was will ferrell holding up i believe david allen greer was in that skit uh in that sketch and uh he just he like severed his head and he holds his head up and he goes the weatherman is dead so that's <laughs> what we're going to talk about today on the podcast we yeah, like like you mentioned, we actually have some news to go over, so we're gonna go over that. But we still have a Dodgers rewind. We still have questions from Greg. You still have a trivia question. I'm barely gonna even attempt to answer. I'm gonna try, but I I I get so defeated knowing I'm always gonna get them wrong. So, but we're gonna have one anyways, and I do that for the audience. You're a, you're a good trooper there, and we'll do all of that after this. I've I've gotten to the point where whenever I have to say something like during these times, I just capitalize these times so everyone knows. Mm. I mean, with Corona and COVID all going around, but it, one of the interesting little changes is is my Twitter timeline. Whereas middle of May, any other year, the density of a tweet about baseball we're like fifty percent oh, maybe. Is my yeah. tw- timeline is baseball news. Whereas now, even you know, changing no one I'm following, it's ninety five percent virus stuff. Maybe it's more like ninety eight, and only a small portion of which is about the baseball stuff. So I, I, this will be some of this will be news to me, and I'm excited to for you to tell me what what the story is. So I was thinking too. Now that you mentioned that, what if the Foo Fighters like. Uh, I saw like Dave Grohl, I believe, or maybe it was the Foo Fighters like main account, just tweeting about how how awesome it's going to be once like concerts will happen again and live shows and stuff, and then like to you know prepare for that. Obviously, it's not going to happen for a while, but like it was a pretty inspirational. Even it was just a tweet, you know, but like it was it was pretty cool. But I was wondering like, what if time uh, times like these by the Foo Fighters can be the anthem of the, the current <laughs> the current time? Maybe, maybe they could be like the Smash Mouth of coronavirus uh, in a way that it just like has uh, enduring, uh, you know, for years to come. Who knows? But uh, they uh, I guess they're doing okay. They don't they probably don't need my advice on that. But yeah, so there, there's like a probably uh, like three different sort of things going on, and it's all kind of in the same uh, umbrella. You know, players and owners still sort of going back and forth talking. Like, you know, we talked a little bit about the money aspect of it, and I, I, MLB hasn't technically like presented like a plan to the to the players yet in terms of like we want you to take a 50-50 split or whatever, you know, thing. They, they haven't, like, proposed that yet. They've just been, like, exchanging ideas. And, and so, like, that was part of the reason 
I think last week I was 83.7% that uh, season's going to happen. And I still think that's roughly the case because, you know, they're, they're negotiating in reasonable good faith. But that said, there's some sort of newsy type things that came out. One was MLB sent like this, um, I believe it was 67 pages of a, like a safety and testing protocol, basically like the rules of like what's going to happen if they start playing again. And like, it's, it's very comprehensive, but at the same time they like warned that, you know, Hey, this, we're just, this is just first draft. We're just talking about it. That's what they're sort of talking about. But there's so many like little things that stand out, like, uh, no spitting. Like, can you imagine a baseball game without spitting? Like it's, <laughs> it's involuntary, no sunflower seeds, like even no high fiving, no hugging uh understandable no like the the hugging yeah yeah so like it's gonna be and then also i believe uh no fighting is in there and so like you have this like weird scenario where <laughs> astro like, fans yeah like wonderfully uh, happy jose altuve lead hitting lead off, or probably george springer hitting lead off gets hit can't charge the mound because they'll get like majorly like overly suspended by mlb <laughs> for for like once. violating protocol and stuff so but then there's also like uh, little things too. Um, they mention uh, pitchers would use uh, their own personal baseballs during like bullpen sessions, Ooh. and like so I, I had this like idea that they're like the chefs of baseball, and they like, who care like chefs carry around their own knives, you know. Mm-hmm. So like you can have this like little like foldable case of baseballs that the, the pitchers just sort of roll out. And then they unwind it and they take it out and it's very, they're very meticulous about it. And like, they have to have their baseballs a certain way. And then (laughs) you could, you could have like baseball sharpeners that they, they uh, carry around. I don't know. Then also like, you know, there's, there's obviously serious things in here. Like they're testing like multiple, I think it's three times a week. I forget the exact number. And then uh, their daily temperature text, temperature checks like multiple times and players are expected to do things at home too if you're sick you won't be like let in uh i think if you're running a fever um if you test positive they uh try to like trace like what who you've been around and like you know possibly you know remove you from there they're not going to like shut down if a positive test happens i think they would do their best to just like quarantine the players and then, but then you also, they're, they're expecting the players to like police themselves. Like they, they said, we're not going to restrict you. Like the, the Arizona plan, the big hang up there was like, everyone's going to be sequestered in a hotel and you can't do anything. Like you could do stuff, but like, they don't, they don't want you to like go out to bars basically. And mm-hmm. like, or, you know, and so, but then there's all the, the little thing that like sort of caught my eye was no showering at the stadium. That's insane. Like, but like. It probably has to happen, but it like it thinks it makes me think back to like little league and or like high school baseball where you just might wear your uniform home. Yeah, uh, pick up a pizza on the way. Yeah, and so like it's and but like major leaguers like they shower like multiple times a day, like you know uh, after like uh, uh, running or batting practice or something, they might shower before the game. Then they'll shower after the game. At the, and then at the same time. Like on a fireworks night, uh, when all the uh, fans are still in the stands once the game ends, players will bolt and like dress immediately <laughs> and get get out of there because they can beat the traffic. 
So like, it, you know, it happens, but I, that's just like a weird thing that you take for granted that like, uh, if that's going to happen. And again, it's, it's just, it's this like early phase of like talking about stuff, but that's that it's going to be like so different. And once, it like, should be noted because I've, I've had, uh, some friends ask me, you know, like what, you know, what's baseball looking like thus far? And let me know. And I, maybe this is different, yeah. but the news I have seen so far is definitive major league baseball and owner posturing trying to like kind of beat up we have a plan it's gonna this can happen and i haven't seen a whole lot of movement on the players and yet a, a lot of we want to play and we want this to happen but we have to find out is that still the case or has there been movement there yeah i think part of that is because i don't like they they the owners haven't technically proposed anything right. to the players that's what to, i'm saying like we haven't to, said yeah right yeah like they haven't said here's our plan what do you think and then, like, there's so there's nothing to like approve or like, you know. So they're they're still in like the talking phase now. Another the other thing is like, um, these these are for games to happen in home stadiums, um, and to do that, you have to have like, uh, you know, the the cities and the states where these uh, teams play on board, and like, you know, California has been. One on the aggressive side in terms of like, uh, you know, probably just in terms of other states in the United States about like um, being uh, enforcing social distancing and things like that. They're starting to like um, open things up a little bit, uh, but also they're sort of keeping in line with testing. And I guess the the coronavirus numbers, uh, the governor today, Gavin Newsom, he, he had a. Um, press conference and he said yeah basically the total number of um uh coronavirus cases has gone down the total number of like uh folks in the icu has gone down the big concern about you know the the virus is like the virus itself obviously it's it, you know so many people have, are dying from it but also that if it if it spikes too much then you'll overwhelm like the hospital system because they're not they don't they're not equipped to handle that many people in the ICU or needing ventilators. And then so people with other diseases um, cannot get properly treated. And then it just creates like this chaos and it becomes even worse. And I think that's the concern about all this. But those numbers are improving. And then today, Gavin Newsom said explicitly that um, if the numbers continue on that path, you could see a scenario where. Uh, professional sports can return in the state of California as early as the first week of June. Now, most of the um, uh, baseball plans, you know, they they sort of uh, want to start like July 4th and then they probably have like a two to three week spring training. Um, and so like that helps in terms of like if, you know, whether they have this, they might have spring training like in Arizona and Florida but those states, like last week, those those governors have been much more aggressive. They're like, hey, our state's open. Let's go. Yay. And then um, so I, th you know, we'll see what's going to happen. But they're also part of the protocols with that, too. They're they're not going to have like full um, a lot of full team workouts and they'll like split it off um, into smaller groups and things. And I, I think only a handful of games, you know, maybe. Uh, for spring for exhibition uh, style but also like one of the things too is like people like having to separate in the dugout and in the locker room so like basically like every team is going to have to build like auxiliary um clubhouses 
like for both home and visitors because like the Dodger Stadium Clubhouse, I forget exactly how many lockers are in there. I think it's like 46. I think I something like that. I, I counted at one point. I, I don't remember exactly. And this is, you know, that's a pretty standard size locker room now. I would imagine it has good enough room. But like if you have six, people six feet apart, you're going to have to have essentially a whole nother probably room that size, you know, to handle everybody. And then in the dugout, like that means like probably people who aren't like involved in the game are going to have to like sit in the stands perhaps or something like that. But there's not going to be fans there. So, you know, maybe it won't be as weird. But like this, obviously a lot of work in progress type thing. So that's where they're sort of at right now. But like again, they're not at a point where anything's being approved. I think the 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 back and forth will start coming, but uh, we're not there exactly yet. The one bit of news I did see, and luckily it's in the show notes. Otherwise, we we you would be without the teleprompter, Eric. <laughs> that's so. right. Oh, what do we do? Was uh, I, this goes back to my earlier point of so much of the news that we've been getting um, outside of uh, Governor Newsom's announcement uh, is posturing by the owners, not necessarily in bad faith, but certainly you know they're trying to get their first uh, first foot in the door and kind of make their proposals sort of the. Uh, assumption of what fans goes and to that uh, they're sort of claiming that hey if this doesn't happen we're going to lose billions of dollars yeah so like you know we talked about this i think a little bit before where the crux of the players argument is that they already agreed to prorated salaries based on the season so if it's an 82 game season they get roughly half their salary that's you know relatively normal what mlb is claiming is under that plan and then if they have to do games with no fans the game, the games would be so like onerous on them. Onerous, get it? Um, yeah. uh, so they, it would be like cost prohibitive for them to even hold baseball. It, uh, essentially, they haven't explicitly said that, but like they, they, they propose, they like included in a, a like a, a PDF or whatever they sent over to the players. Here's our numbers, right? And so the Associated Press, I believe, had this first, and the. The general like gist of this was that under the current system, every game um, MLB holds with no fans, the uh, the league loses six hundred and forty thousand on average each game. Those numbers don't add up because like there there's this like there's this one chart like the the Yankees and the Dodgers are the two biggest like losers in this. Um, Based on that, it makes sense. The larger markets, they're going to make the most. So, um, you know, it would make sense that they also lose the most if the revenue is affected as it is. Um, but they a, a little caveat in the chart they used was uh, not included in this is $1.34 billion in, in like, uh, I believe it was national revenue or whatever, I forget, however they termed it. That's billion with a B. So... Essentially, it boils down to they didn't include the the national television contracts, the, the equivalent of that, roughly. So if you do that, that wipes out most of the the, the uh, supposed losses. And like the whole, um, just there's pieces out today. I'll link to these all in the show, na- show notes. Uh, Maury Brown at Forbes, uh, Craig Edwards at Fangraphs, and Rob Maines uh, at um, Baseball Prospectus, uh, they all broke 
down like the sort of the flaws in this and they're all like compelling arguments basically that MLB is is cooking the books a little bit here or at least presenting a a face like imagine this is a timeshare powerpoint like they're trying to sell you on <laughs> that that's roughly what it seems like so uh kyle gleiser of um uh, baseball america noted that mlb counted i believe it was 440 something million as an expense for amateur talent that includes both the draft and um international spending now keep in mind that mlb shortened the draft to five rounds this year so and then it's only twenty thousand per player, um, at any for anyone who wasn't drafted. And th- this is even if you count, uh, I believe, all the signing bonuses, like the signing the slot the bonus slot values, like add up to like, um, God, what is it, one hundred and sixty million, I think. And even if you count all of that in this year, which is fine. Um, Another thing MLB is doing is 90% of this is all deferred to 2021-2022. So they only have to actually pay 10% of that this year. But even if you include the full 160, then add in the um, international spending, the expected international spending. I believe Kyle's numbers, and I'll link to his tweet thread here too, he said that there would have to be a total of uh, 1,650 undrafted free agents signed at the maximum 20,000 to make up the gap to get to the 440 million. So again, MLB is overestimating a an expense and then underestimating income to get its numbers to to look uh, more favorable to them. And that the, so what MLB's final claim is in all this is if they do the se- the season as is with players getting prorated salary and then the reduced revenues they will lose $4 billion. And that doesn't like hold a lot of water. There was another sort of point here that uh, Greg Oders at Fangraphs noted. Uh, in MLB's report, it says their, their total like bottom line um, net like income basically has been within like $250 million of break even. They're basically saying on a normal year, they're like running close to even. And, you know, he looked at sort of the last four years, basically the, that total payroll hasn't really moved. Whereas revenues, you know, through reasonably reported means have increased by about a billion. So that doesn't hold a lot of water. And then that doesn't even account for like the increases in franchise value. And he says over the last four years, uh, the total like franchise value gains are roughly between five and seven billion, and so that's part of like the the sort of uh, frustration in all this is that it's just getting it's an accounting trick basically, um, and it's getting presented like this where I think the players will see through it, but and again I think they are they're you know there's a lot at stake for both sides I think they will end up making some sort of a deal, but that's sort of what we're dealing with. Um, and again, they're they're not even at the point where they're they're necessarily arguing over this yet. I, I'm sure that'll come soon enough. But um, and it kind of has to if they're going to start spring training in uh, the middle of June. Uh, they have to sort of figure this out relatively soon. But that that's sort of where we're at in terms of all this uh, together. But yeah, that that's sort of where we're at right now, I guess. It'll be really, one thing a proposal that you and I had kind of bandied around is oh they could they could maybe start with the All Star game. 
Oh uh, yeah, uh, of how that could be could be really cool. But if it's without fans, you wonder if LA, which is going to have the All Star game this year, is like we, we want a fan attended All Star game, and you know they have to figure that out. Yeah, I guess I haven't seen specifically. I don't think that um, uh, it doesn't sound like the All Star game is going to happen this year without fans. And like it, it seems like every proposal, it's like a brand new schedule. They're not going to just pick up where they left off because it's going to be a revised schedule mm-hmm. and things like that. But it sounds like the All Star game is kind of dead this year, and that the Dodgers would just get the, the next possible year would be 2022. But like. There is sort of, you know, on some merit, even as a TV event, it would be cool to see the All-Star game to start the year. Mm-hmm. But I think at this point, like, they that's probably like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Realistically, at least. It, it, nothing official has come down on that yet, but it, it just sounds like that's too far, too far gone to, to even uh, sort of plan for at this point. Well, we're going to take a little break, but I know you want to challenge me beforehand. Yep. So I won't say who it is, but our Dodgers Rewind... Um, he is one of eight Dodgers infielders with a season of double-digit home runs, triples, and doubles uh, in the same season. Mm-hmm. How how many of the other seven can you name? I will attempt to do that. Two point eight six after this. So all Dodgers infielders, not just LA. Yeah. Yep. Uh, double-digit, a uh, 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 triple-double, if you will. Yes, and uh, I'll even give you a hint here. Yeah. This person. Uh, who did it in 1959 is the last Dodger infielder to do it. (laughs) (laughs) He's the only LA Dodger to do it. Okay. Infielder, infielder. So 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 my preamble for this was when you (laughs) think of this, the the trick is triples, right? You're hitting 10 doubles and home runs. Yeah. Plenty of players in the modern era and previous uh, older errors have done that. So it, it's almost how many Dodger infielders have hit 10 triples. Obviously, it's not exactly because you have to have a little bit of pop as well. Yeah. So I I quickly realized, okay, the, the error of the triple is is an older thing. I definitely thought there were going to be some uh, in the L.A. history. So uh, yeah. I, I did cheat a little bit because I wanted to look up just – I just looked at the triples column. I didn't look elsewhere. Like how many players, how many were uh, a player like Davy Lopes? How many was he hitting? By the way, n- not enough. <laughs> yeah. is what I found out. Uh, so uh, a name, and so one name right off the bat that I would have guessed and would have been Ron was Gil Hodges. Not, not, not the case. Mm-hmm. So those uh, Davy Lopes and Gil Hodges were the two names that I I looked up. So now we're on my own. Uh-huh. I'm fearful. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get very many. Uh, Raphael for call, I think, was the one name I was going to throw out. But yeah, he he would have been someone I, I would have probably guessed. Uh, you mentioned Gil Hodges. His high in triples was seven, yeah. which he did twice. Uh, but, yeah. So uh, let's try Pee Wee Reese. Uh, no, yeah. he is not on. I, I was going to look up. Uh, it would, I don't home, he, he would be an issue where the, the home run probably was yeah. more of the issue than the triple. He actually does. You know, he has more home runs than triples in his career. He hit ten triples once in 1946, but he hit five home runs. Oh man, he hit. So he had two seasons where 
he he obviously made it in doubles, but he had two seasons where he had eight triples and ten home runs. <laughs> he had another season with eight triples and six home runs, so like just falling short. Oh, uh, um, so he, he's close, but yeah. Okay, uh, Jackie Robinson was my best guess. Yeah, so he he's he's won for sure. He did it in 1949, the year he won MVP. He led the league in steals and sacrifice bunts that year, uh, but 38 doubles, 12 triples, and 16 home runs. What a, uh, what a yeah, what a year. Um, the, the, I don't think you're going to get any. Of I the bet others. Say it's probably. I I was hoping Pee Wee Reese uh, would have gotten there. Uh, so I was struck on this because I was originally thinking because our our Dodger rewind is going to be a, a middle infielder, and I was expecting there to be a lot of middle infielders there. So oh, I have one more baseman. guess. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Neal. Yeah, oh, there it is. Yeah, he, he's he's our I Dodger can read rewind. The show notes. So um, the, there's a ton of first basemen. So. Uh, Dolph Camilli, first baseman, did it three times, 1938-40. Del Bissonnette, 1929-1931, to 1931, also a first baseman. Uh, also, I'm sorry, 1928-1931, to four straight years. Jack Fournier, uh, who I uh, – did we talk about on a previous Dodger rewind? I could look it up. I won't. Um, 1923 and 1925. Babe Herman played, like, all the corners, uh, or at least first base, right field, and left field in 1926. Babe Herman then, is someone I think I probably could have guessed if you had given yeah. me an hour. Right, exactly. And then uh, <laughs> someone who I have literally never heard of before, Harvey Hendrick. He played uh, mostly Dodger third. Rewind. Yeah, yeah, mostly third, but also uh, center field and left. Um, and then Glenn Wright, who I believe I'm sure I've talked about on here before. Uh, he was the he's the Dodger shortstop besides Corey Seager to hit 20 home runs as a shortstop in a season. And the year that he did it, 1930, he also had 12 triples and 28 doubles. So those are the guys. And then, um, but yeah, so but, uh, before I get into Charlie Neal, the the one guy, the, the, the I always love this, like the, the triple-double, as you called it. Um, Juan Samuel, for me, was this because, so I started collecting baseball cards in like 85. So you have like 84 stats on the back. And Juan Samuel was a rookie, and I was, um, I was enamored that he led the league in at bats. At like, I thought that was a thing, right? Like, I thought that made him cool. It all, it also just meant that he, well, he played all the time, but he also didn't walk, and so, uh, so he led the league in at bats and triples as a rookie. Also, strikeouts. He led the league in strikeouts his first four years, and that ended up sort of being his downfall a little bit. Although, look, he played. 16 years in the majors, he had a 101 OPS. He was a league average hitter for a decade and a half. That's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so his first four years, he he had his his lowest was 12 triples. His lowest was 15 home runs. He averaged over those four years um, 102 runs, 35 doubles, 15 triples, and 20 home runs, and 51 steals. Like he was a an absolute stud. But then if you if you dig deeper, he didn't walk enough. He struck out a bunch. And like his defense was eh. like so, uh, th- there was hole, there were holes, but like, and then he came to the Dodgers, and then his his high with the Dodgers uh, for triples was six, so like he kind of lost it after those first couple years in terms of hitting triples. He hit nine in 1988 with the Phillies, but yeah, so I, I was enamored with 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 him back then, and that, so that that was sort of my entree into the triple double. Uh, well, I guess besides besides our, our friend Magic Johnson. Um, 
Um, so Charlie Neal, he played six seasons in the minors uh, with the Dodgers before debuting for Brooklyn at age 25 in 1956. So his his deal was he was mostly a second baseman. He played a little shortstop too. But the infield at that time had Pee Wee Reese at short. It had Jim Gilliam uh, either at third or second, and then Jackie Robinson sometimes at second. And then the, the, those guys both moved around. So there wasn't really a spot for Charlie Neal for a while. He sort of had three seasons as a regular with the Dodgers. They were solid. They were slightly above average offensively. He averaged a 102 OPS plus in those years, 18 homers, 17 doubles, 8 triples, 12 steals, and 3.3 war. Uh, his Sabre bio uh, quotes, uh, sports writers annually named him the fastest man on the team and praised his lightning double play pivot at second base. Uh, he, when Pee Wee Reese moved to third base in 1957, Neal was the shortstop, but then Neal moved to second base for 58 and 59. Um, so his 1959 tops card, which I uh, pulled out, I have it in the, in the, the podcast post for this. Um, it says on the back, the leader in double plays for shortstops in 1958, Charlie was originally a second baseman. That's sort of true, except that he didn't lead the league in double plays as a shortstop in 58 because he didn't play shortstop enough. Uh, he, he led the league in double plays for a second baseman. His shortstop year was 57. So that was weird. Um, but he did lead the league in double plays as a second baseman in 1950, uh, 1958 and in 1959. So like, you know, they were half right, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so he, when he moved to second base in 1958, he hit 22 home runs and then 19 the next year. Those were the, uh, 20 of those home 22 were as second basemen. So those were the two best years home run wise by a Dodger second baseman forever. Um, and then they still like our, our uh, third and uh, tied for third, tied for fifth. Uh, Davey Lopes hit 28 home runs in 1979 to break it. And then Jeff Kent matched that in 05. And then Jeff Kent had a 20 home run year as a second baseman in 07. And then Jackie Robinson had two years of 19 home runs. So those are like the top second base home run years. Um, uh, Charlie Neal also had the first uh, L.A. Dodger hit in history. Their first game at San Francisco as a second inning single against Ruben Gomez. His sort of claim to fame uh, for them was the 59 World Series. Larry Sherry got the most valuable player. I wrote about that team. It's underdog week at uh, SB Nation this week, so I wrote about the 59 Dodgers today. Uh, Larry Sherry was a pitcher. He was like their closer, even though they didn't have closers. Their, I guess their ace reliever. Um, he closed out all four wins for the Dodgers. He, he saves weren't a thing back then, but retroactively he got two saves and two wins. He didn't. He allowed like one run in almost 13 innings. So he was MVP, but uh, Charlie Neal was close. He hit 370, uh, two home runs, six RBIs, two doubles. He basically was instrumental in like three of their wins. Um, he has the fourth most total bases by a Dodger in a World Series of 18. Duke Snyder has 24 first. Uh, his 10 hits, Charlie Neal was tied for fourth in Dodger history in a World Series. Uh, Maury Wills, Ron Fairley in 1965, and Bill Russell in 1978 had 11. So he's like right there. The Dodgers traded Charlie Neal to the Mets. Uh, right before their inaugural 1962 season. And then getting back to that uh, triple-double, uh, Charlie Neal led uh, the National League in triples in 1959 with 11. He was actually tied with uh, Wally Moon, uh, his teammate. So pretty uh, pretty good stuff. That's Charlie Neal. And now it's time for... With Jensen Craig. 
We love them. Five crush crush. I did this like a few weeks ago. Questions. <laughs> Craig questions is what I'm. I'm like forcing down my down my windpipe. So five questions. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Following up on who's who will bat ninth if there's a DH in 2020. Cubs catcher Giovanni Soto was the last position player, uh, NL Rookie of the Year, awardee in 2008, to bat more times in the bottom half of the lineup than the top four spots. Eric, this is for you. Can you name the six L.A. Dodger position players who won the Rookie of the Year batting more times in the bottom half than the top four spots? He has a hint. One freesome did it uh, one decade, and another freesome did it in another decade, which is not much of a hint. <laughs> if you know yeah. uh, much about uh, Dodger Dodger rookies, so yeah, I was thinking about this. Like, I was sort of like stuck on the hint. I think, but um, so I think I'll I will go with um, um, Jim Lefevre. Yep. Um, I always get. I always get confused. I always forget which one's the actor and which one's the player. I think it's Ted Sizemore. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I, it, between Ted and Tom, Tom's the actor. Um, and I would, the only other rookie of the year I think from the '60s is Frank Howard in 1960. You got it. Yeah. So that's that. And then, so then it becomes a thing where so the other the the first. Uh, big streak for them was oh oh yeah okay this is yeah this is easier than I thought wait well no maybe <laughs> not um, okay so it has to be the 80s so um, Fernando oh no he said position players mm-hmm. he said position players so okay I was going to say because like Steve Howe barely batted like uh, uh, anyway so that confused <laughs> me so it's not it's not Piazza because he was like right in the middle uh, of the lineup. Really? All right, hold on. Well, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to answer Piazza anyway, so I'll just say Karos, Hollinsworth, and Mondesi since that was going to be my answer. I wasn't going to guess Piazza. Uh, bringing it up, it is uh, Piazza, Mondesi, and Hollinsworth. Huh. And I'm gonna right. I'm gonna figure. I'm trying to find this uh, Mike Piazza in 1992. How often he batted for you, which we can do. Uh, yeah. 93, yeah. 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 Um, Click. Uh, If there is a DH, that does remove one potential pinch-hitting spot. Will the 2020 Dodgers average more or less than two per game, two pinch hits per game? Only in 1965, uh, when there was an L.A. Dodger team who averaged less than one pinch hitter per game with 157 pinch-hitting plate appearances. For example, both in 2017 and 2018, the Dodgers averaged more than two per game. So I think it's going to be pretty clearly below two. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be like plummet. They're still going to pinch it for guys. Like the only thing is you can't you can't put move the DH to another position. So, But they're still going to be like, you know, if Kike's playing left, they might move him to short at some point and like you know maneuver other guys that way uh but the, uh and then pinch hit for whoever so they're still going to pinch hit but not well, obviously not as much as they would with a pitcher in the lineup but i, I think it's just going to be it's going to be less than two but more than one per game 
uh, going back to Mike Piazza real quick, he batted fifth a lot, and that's that's why fifth. Yeah. Uh, okay. In my head, I wasn't I know. thinking a fifth. Yeah, you're right. I, I messed up on that. Uh, we said we were going half. So. Yeah. Um, do you think there will be any opportunities for writers, such as True Blue LA's Eric Steven, uh, to cover the Dodger Stadiums uh, live at the games this year? I think yes, but I that's I would imagine like given. <laughs> What, just re- what, wearing like, hazmat suits <laughs> yes get what like baseball is like like um negotiating right now like we're so far down the list of like <laughs> things that they're caring about they're it's part of the cba they you know they, they need to provide like reasonable access so i'm sure there'll be something whether it's like um post pre-game and post-game manager scrum probably in a controlled setting uh, you each no, get a section of the stadium. <laughs> yeah, but like the the thing that's gonna you can't really do. I would imagine there's gonna be no clubhouse time. So, but that it's gonna put the onus on teams to do to make players available as needed, which is gonna be weird. Uh, but then also, do you get a one on one because you? It's hard to do that in a private spot. Um, but it's I guess it's no different than a locker room. But if you're like if they have to like come out to the field or something. And so you, you can, you can sort of carve out a space, but you still have to be like six feet away. Assume, presumably. So like, it's going to be this. Weird. So when this happened, like, you know, did this like, so I don't know. It's going to be weird. Um, no, just yell really loudly from your section and reserve. Well, also there's going to be the thing. So like a normal press box, right? Like I, I would imagine you probably, it's, you have to, you can only probably have like a third of the people in there if you have to like socially distance but then again they have like the suites that are on the same level that you could just kind of put people in those you know writers um with the same sort of idea so i don't think i think that's totally doable in terms of like just being in there in person uh it'll be a challenge for sure um but i I, there's definitely going to be um people there covering games uh, and I plan to do it if they if that's going to be allowed. But yeah, I, I just think it, it, there's going to be weird logistics about it. But yeah, the, no question, there's going to be uh, some sort of some form of like coverage uh, doing that. Jacob, have you thought about a playlist for your new your child's nursery yet? And if there was one performer you hope to share with a child, who would that be? He's got a part for you. I have to think about this now. Not really. Yeah. Uh, on the nursery tour video that we did, I played Kenny Loggins' Return to Pooh Corner, which is a very nostalgic, something my mother oh, used man. to play when I was uh, yeah. uh, worried or stressed out as a kid. Uh, so there'll be a little bit of that. Uh, good, old, good old Kenny Loggins. Maybe right into that... Danger Zone, right? <laughs> back to back. <laughs> Uh, other than that, there, there, I have a long list. I'm trying to be democratic about it, but Melissa and I's taste in music is different. <laughs> uh, yeah. In that, uh, she, she's big gangster rap. Yeah. Big gangster rap. <laughs> uh, she's East Coast. I'm. No, she's. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of strong opinions on popular music. That's what I'll say. Yeah. So whereas I I have a lot. So I uh I was told that when I was a fussy baby, uh, Madonna is what turned uh calmed me down. I don't know if I'll be playing Madonna, but maybe some Carly Rae Jepsen, some sort of modern equivalent. Nice. 
but yeah, I have I once once uh, ask this question again, Craig, in three or four months, and I'll let you know what's actually working because I'm planning on kind of playing a bunch and seeing what what seems to be clicking, and then diving deep on that. Yeah. Oh, you have a question. I was like, why aren't you answering this? No, I, 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 I was. I was. <laughs> what are you expecting to play for my child, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> Weird Al, obviously. Uh, Eric, do you think your siblings inspired your musical tastes before or after you became an adult? So it was definitely before. I don't think they were doing any like, um, they weren't like placing headphones over me as an infant or something. But I'm certain my brother's uh, older brother, Kelly, and uh, oldest brother, Kelly, also older brother, Greg, they were prevalent um, so much so that there's a famous... um, incident in our family or to me at least no one probably else cares about it uh uh my brother greg uh i believe i somehow at eight i don't know how this happened because i didn't have any money uh but i i purchased the tom petty cassette hard promises and um somehow my brother convinced he was 18 and i was eight and he can or maybe he was 17 and seven or whatever at the time uh, he convinced me uh, to trade him that cassette for a blank cassette, <laughs> and, and I and I obviously this took it be, because this I, could be anything, yeah, right? Yeah, it could be the box. Yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah, that was a bad deal. Uh, but like, I would say, I I like Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen because of them. I would, but I don't think they were like that forceful. They were just always listening to it, and I thought, hey, what are they listening? That's cool. And they listened to other stuff that I wasn't probably didn't get into. So like it wasn't like forced down upon me, but it was definitely influence. I will say this: my brother Kelly, he has he has four kids. Uh, his two oldest kids uh, have kids. Uh, they he has a total of three grandsons, and they're all really young now. Uh, I think age range from one to three. And um, he's he sent us. Uh, Kelly sent a text the other day saying um, when all the the his grandsons were babies the first thing he sang to them was born in the usa by bruce springsteen and uh, he would sing it to them like uh the first time he held them and i guess uh his daughter his the oldest of those grandsons was like running around the house yesterday she sent him a video and he's just going born down in a dead man's town, <laughs> and he's he was like so proud. And I thought, so maybe my brother did that to me, and I just didn't know it. But I just thought that was hilarious that he he's indoctrinating another generation of uh, Bruce Springsteen fans. The final question, the food question. Let's talk about potato chips. Do you prefer chips with smooth texture, ridges, or kettle styled? And do you prefer flavored or plain old potato flavored? I like the idea of so, potato flavored. It's <laughs> yeah, you, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they're uh, you, like I saw it at a, a pharmacy. It was at that? It was chocolate flavored chips. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh no, <laughs> yeah, that's not good. You don't need to have a lot of chocolate to pass that bar. <laughs> so like, I love I love potato chips. They're really good generally, um, but I, I there's a weird thing where um, I like. I think the ridges is what I prefer the most. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and like it gets, it's weird because I've tried like, um, like it's all the same company. I don't know why they even bother making this, but they make wavy lays when they ha- when Frito-Lay has ruffles. And like, <laughs> I you're feel just, like they're a little different maybe. 
they they are a little different, there but like go. also worse than ruffles. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but so I like ruffles yeah. like far more than I like regular lays or wavy lays. Um, I I I am not a huge fan of kettle style chips. They are like generally fine to me. Whereas I can't stand kettle corn mm. for some reason, even though I like love popcorn. Oh man! Speaking of this, <laughs> I, I this week so. I, I had two cravings this weekend that I wanted. Um, I drove to Portillo's, which is like 25 miles away, to get an Italian beef sandwich. I got a couple of them, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that was great. Um, and I, w- I was like, man, I want to get movie theater popcorn. I've read some other, like, uh, too far away for me to drive. But, like, some theaters just opened for, like, a, a day or two. Uh, to just sell concessions because people were missing it. And I thought, that's perfect. I want, like, trash movie theater popcorn, <laughs> like that specific specific taste. But I like, I could just go to Target. So I went to Target last night uh, after watching The Last Dance. It was the last hour they were open. So I was like, man, I'm going to get there. And then I go, and I've, I should have thought of that, about this, but I go there and I get to the where normally the, the like, food service counter is, and there's a sign that says, after March 17th, we've discontinued food service. I was like, no. <laughs> so no popcorn for me, but I did get some multivitamins. So it wasn't a wasted trip. But uh, yeah, like uh, in terms of flavors, um, I like a lot of flavors. Um, I, I Just the plain ruffles are usually, but also sour cream and onion are wonderful, even though not a big. Say, I, I, I say I'm not a big sour cream fan, but they have the most. Um, I will. I love them in terms of almost always related to chips like either making a dip mm-hmm. uh that's a sour cream base i am fine with it or sour cream and onion chips i'm fine with uh i like barbecue i i even like salt and vinegar even though those are you can only take so much of those that's that's a strong <laughs> one but yeah I, I i like them all uh don't eat potato chips a ton i ever that's not that's not true i'll, I'll occasionally get uh, you know, Doritos is probably a different category because they're cheesier and and things like that. But yeah, th- that's all sort of part and parcel. Like I, I like them all. What about you? I am not. I'm not the biggest chip fan, but I've been. It might just be because they are kind of junky and salty, and so yeah. many of my favorite salty and junky foods are takeout oriented. And I haven't been getting it, so they've been filling the void. Void. Um, sour cream and onion Pringles are are a fit, fit favorite of mine along with ruffles with uh french onion dip those would be my absolute two go-tos so i i like pringles too i forgot they're a, they're a nice guilty pleasure they i if they they need to figure out a way man imagine if they they're already in the awesome can that you're that's, yeah. that's not tennis ballers or, rac, or racquetballs what if they made ruffles chips that still tasted like rough um, not ruffles but like pringles and that were still like had the qual- every quality of Pringle that you know and love, but when you opened the can, it smelled like a new set of racquetballs. <laughs> that would be the most amazing can in history. And man, that's and like now that we're thinking about this, I I want to I want to go not only eat chips but also dip them in some sort of like French onion dip. Yeah. Uh, man, that's gonna happen. So thanks, Craig, for <laughs> for contributing to my uh, uh, culinary. Uh, you know, whatever. But yeah, no, that, that sounds good. I'm going to go eat that right now. But thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I hope you're uh, eating the chips you enjoy while listening to us. And oh, uh, we're we're going to skip next week. Uh, 
unless like major news happens. So happy Memorial Day, everybody. Well, that's, I, do you really say that? That's a weird thing. <laughs> Whatever. Enjoy. If you have a, a extended weekend, enjoy it. Um, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. <laughs>